Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I am so happy to welcome a fabulous mother-daughter duo to Ground Control Parenting, Edith Cooper and her daughter, Jordan Taylor. Edith and Jordan are the dynamic founders of Medley, a membership-based community for personal and professional growth. They worked together to launch Medley in July 2020 out of their shared passion for creating environments where people can be themselves and recognize their potential. Edith is one of the nation's leading Black business executives, having spent 30 years on Wall Street. Most recently, she was a partner, executive vice president, and the head of human capital management at Goldman Sachs. She and her husband, Robert Taylor, have two young adult sons, Daniel and Henry, along with their daughter, Jordan. Prior to founding Medley, Jordan worked in media as chief of staff at Mike, and she was a consultant at the Boston Consulting Group. She received her AB from Harvard College and her MBA from Harvard Business School. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Edith and Jordan. Thank you so much, Carol. So excited to be with you. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, I am so excited to have the both of you here. Edith, I've known you for many, many years. And Jordan, I've known you through your mom and your dad and your friendship with my daughter, Tyler. So it feels like old home week here. (laughs) I can't wait to talk with you guys about parenting, creating a family business, and the importance of wellness these days. So let's get started. I often start my podcast conversations with asking my guests how they were parented. This is the first time I get to do this with a mother and a daughter together. So I'm going to start with Edith. Edith, can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up, your family structure, and and your your strongest memories? I know your parents were born in the segregated South and they moved to New York City, but tell me a little bit more about how you grew up. Sure. Uh, how, How did I grow up? Uh, I think the first thing that's top of mind is that I was one of five kids, mm-hmm. the middle child. And so you can take that where you'd like. <laughs> we were a close family, very much tied to my parents' families in North and South Carolina. And it's top of mind because that was part of our upbringing. Every summer, as soon as our, our school was out, we'd get into the station wagon. Once we got a station wagon and we'd drive to South Carolina and then North Carolina My father, who was a dentist, stayed in New York, and my mom would spend the time with us, and we'd join my aunt and their three sons and, you know, had an incredible summer. We spent part of that with my grandmother, who was a professor at Johnson C. Smith University. And so all of those things really informed, you know, my sense of family, my connection to our history and our community. Education and achieving academically was core to our family's values. Mm -hmm. And I know that is because education was the path out of a narrowly defined universe uh, and an opportunity to explore the potential opportunities outside of, you know, our household or our family background. And it was really critically important. And so I'd say that's first and foremost. With that was actually an expectation. That was an important part of my parents' parenting style, the expectation that we would focus on schoolwork, that we would, you know, do our best, whatever that was, and that we would use that to not only advance ourselves, but to advance our people, because that was a part of our culture as well. You know, our responsibility, given the access um, that we had, you know, my father was a dentist, my grandfather was a dentist, etc. Our responsibility was to 
not only contribute to ourselves and our well-being, but that of our community. Um, Very important to our parenting. And how did they make those expectations clear to you? Did their example sort of led the way and they didn't have to talk to you guys about it? Or was there any kind of insistence or gentle persuasion? No, there was no gentle, really, um, in, the, in, the, in the conversation. As I said, my, my grandmother was a math professor. And, you know, part of our summer experience was to spend a month with her in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it was pretty hot in, in Charlotte, particularly given the absence of air conditioning. But, you know, we would have our sessions every day on algebra, as an example, on long and short division, because we had to be prepared, over-prepared for what was coming in the classroom. And so, you know, when that becomes part of your day-to-day, you know, it's pretty clear that that you, you know, were expected to to do your best. I would also say, though, that there was that expectation and, and there was no confusion and it was not gentle, but there was also a recognition that as each of us came into the classroom, we had different learning styles mm-hmm. and we needed different, you know, support. And that's where, you know, my mother, who unfortunately passed away when I was in high school, spent her life really ensuring until she passed away, literally, that she knew and she was engaged with us in our studies and she was involved with us and and how we were faring and where we needed extra help. And so I don't want to project this 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 image of, you know, get A's or you know, leave the household. It was more that, you know, we're doing everything we can to provide for you so that you could excel to your potential. And that's something that I still talk about to this day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they set a great example and they expected you to do your best. Um, Edith, I, I, I did know that you lost your mom when you were pretty young. In terms of parenting role models, you've talked about the fact that your father had to step up and there were five children suddenly for him to raise. Mm -hmm. And if you were the middle one, then how young was the youngest? Uh, Ten. Ten. Whoa. So as you got older and began to think of yourself in your life and, and, and think about parenting influences, what kind of role modeling did you reflect on? I mean, certainly you had a great one in your mom, but um, did your father sort of take over in terms of sort of the parenting role model past 16? No, not really. Um, he, he he took over a big part of that, which was providing for us. Mm-hmm. And my father, who I mentioned was a dentist, put five of us through college. Wow. And for years, he supported us financially with some student loans, but not significant ones, although they seem significant at the time upon reflection, it was just extraordinary for for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he did that and provided that financial support as a single parent, not having actually been, uh, I would say, hands-on involved in the day-to-day. My father and my parents were a reflection of the time. Mm -hmm. My father came home every day at seven o'clock. He had his dinner at 7.30. We had already eaten and he would sit and he would, he was an avid reader, often read and watch sports. To this day, I watch sports like you can imagine because I would sit with my father, mm-hmm. not to get fatherly experience and bonding, but because it was what he did and I wanted to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is where the family unit mattered. My grandmother and my mother's mother lost her child and moved to New York. Um, she was in her mid 70s, mid to late 70s, and took on the parenting responsibility for my myself and my two young brothers um, who were still at home. I went off to college a year and a half later. 
My aunt, uh, Carol Cooper, my uncle's wife, uh, was extraordinary. She really realized that for me specifically, but for all of us, for me specifically, I needed her and I want, I, I needed her mothering. She mm-hmm. came to New York when each of my children, our children, were born. Mm-hmm. She spent a week with us. She came to Grandmother's Day at school. She and and Uncle Noble would come, you know, to the significant family events like graduations, etc. And that was important. Although I would say it was more critical than I knew because she modeled for me what love and caring and emotive caring felt like. And mm-hmm. Without that, you know, my experience with that from a mother would have been really wanting and therefore it would have been harder for me to be a parent of a 20-year-old because I didn't have a mom when I was Mm -hmm. 20. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a mom when I got married. And so, you know, I, I, upon reflection, can see now that it helped at the time, but it was extraordinarily um, important to me in my life as a parent going forward. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you, you hear a lot about families bonding together and extended families, but that was just a really wonderful depiction of how important it is. I mean, your grandmother knew what she had to do, but little did she know she was planting seeds that would just keep you going mm-hmm. forward for, and keep generations going forward. Yeah. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to move to you, Jordan. And, and this will be interesting because I've not asked anyone this question in the presence of a parent of theirs, but can you tell me, can you tell me a little bit about how you were parented? I mean, I, I'm going to, the same question about expectations. I mean, your mom has had this incredible education as have you, were you aware of, of any kind of expectations growing up and, and how were they presented to you? Yeah. I mean, I was absolutely aware of expectations, but you know, I think some of the things that my mom described in her upbringing definitely ran true to me around just a sense of closeness and a sense of camaraderie with your immediate family and then also with extended family. So I have two younger brothers, two years younger than me and five years younger than me. And I would say that we really enjoyed and appreciated playing with each other and, and really grew up together and now uh, are, are getting feel even closer in age. And I feel very lucky to, to have them in my mm-hmm. life. At the same time, you know, I was always doing a lot of activities. That's one of the most defining things of, of my childhood. Yeah, I was, we were that parents, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, grew up outside of New York City in a suburban environment, did everything from karate to ballet to piano lessons to track to ice hockey oh boy. <laughs> uh, to soccer to, uh, you know, ha- I can really go on <laughs> at some point doing, you know, several of those activities in a given day. And what that really reflects and what that meant for me was just given so much, I had so much space where I could explore different things. Mm -hmm. And I loved trying different things, learning different skills. Sports are, were a huge part of my life as well and, and still remain so to this day. But both my mom and dad really told me like, explore, find something that you're passionate about, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the sort of excellence, you know, I have my my fingers in quotations and expectations really came alongside that. But I think the biggest thing was just figuring out what I was passionate about. And, you know, I think another really defining thing about my upbringing is just this belief that I can do anything. And I feel so lucky to have that belief. You know, I feel like I could be president if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Of course, Mm -hmm. I 
had to work very, very hard. And I really appreciate the value of hard work, but my expectations of myself as a result are very, very high. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they stopped putting pressure on me when I was probably about seven or eight in terms of grades in school, because I, I got too, uh, uh, too much pressure on myself. <laughs> she did a good job. <laughs> so by the time, <laughs> so by the time I was in high school, they'd be like, "It's okay, it's okay. You you didn't get you know the grade that you wanted. Uh, it's okay. Like you're doing great." And so you know every kid needs something different. But yeah. So I just have to say, first of all, that's so heartening to hear. And Edith, I've done a little investigation of some other conversations you've had about this, and you talked about how you learn from your parents that if you want something, don't be afraid to go after it and, and don't be deterred by other people, but also know what you're capable of and commit to that. And it sounds like that you very successfully passed on those lessons to Jordan because, I mean, she pretty much said just that. So that is great. Let me ask you this, Jordan. So you're a young entrepreneur. So what are some of the qualities your qualities that make you feel well-suited for this world? I mean, you know, entrepreneurial interest is a little, it's different. And of these qualities, are they, any of them rooted in family life? Oh my gosh. Um, absolutely. I, I definitely think that they're rooted in, in family life. Firstly, I don't think there's one perfect recipe for who an entrepreneur should mm -hmm. be and what that looks like. And I will acknowledge that up front. There is <laughs> such an amazing breadth of what mm -hmm. an entrepreneur looks like and, and what a successful entrepreneur looks like. And so I, I have to caveat that up front. I think some of the qualities about myself that make me well suited for the current role that I'm in and the business that I'm building, I care deeply about people. Mm -hmm. I am genuinely interested and care about people's lives, what they have going on. I ask questions, I listen. And as a result, I enjoy mm -hmm. and am pretty good at building relationships with people. And it's because I genuinely appreciate getting to know others. And, you know, that is very consistent amongst me and my brothers mm -hmm. as well. If you met my brothers, they are, they have different styles, but they can connect with anyone, get to know them. Mm -hmm. They have a deep respect for other people as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that quality uh, in me and also in that I see in my siblings is is just a result of my parents really encouraging us to do different types of things, mm -hmm. um, as well as modeling in all of their interactions with people, big and small, uh, that type of behavior, mm -hmm. um, whether it's even interacting with a waiter or uh, getting into a cab or a difficult conversation at work or treating your friends with respect. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things, I feel like were a really strong model for me. Mm -hmm. The other quality I think that's really critical for entrepreneurship is persistence. And you just have to be, you know, it's, it's very irrational when you think about starting a company. You're going into a new space. You're doing something that hopefully hasn't been done before. It's very risky. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and so you kind of have to wake up every single day and just be determined and persistent. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is something, you know, especially now I'm so fortunate I get to work with my mother, Edith, uh, and I'm forcing myself to call her mom in this conversation because usually <laughs> when we have discussions, I, I do refer to her as Edith, but she is the most, I mean, both of, both of my parents, they are so persistent. If there is something that they want to do, they will do it. 
Edith, you know, she literally once ran a marathon with a torn muscle because she was like, I'm finishing this marathon. <laughs> they both have examples. And, my, you know, my dad, he worked very hard at basketball and ended up playing basketball in college and just was just so determined. And I think that determination mm -hmm. is something that I really try to channel every day and that I really admire mm -hmm. uh, in both of my parents and then also in myself. Boy, that was a great answer. <laughs> um, and I'm glad you you talked about the risk profile because it is it is risky, but it sounds like you had a really good foundation to feel able to take on the risks. And talking a little bit more about work, Edith, I want to turn to mm -hmm. you to ask you about the interaction of your family and your work life over time. You have said in, in interviews that having children enhanced your career because it narrowed your focus. Talk a little bit about that and tell us sort of how it, how that worked for you. Sure. So, you know, I really do believe that when my husband and I had our first child followed by two others, I needed to get better at time management. Mm -hmm. I needed to get better at um, how I prioritized things because I wasn't willing or interested in making the sacrifice of not being engaged in my family mm -hmm. in the name of work. Having said that, I think it is important to make that I, to say that I did make a lot of sacrifices in terms of the things that I was able to be involved in in person, particularly, and I think this was certainly true for all of the children, but particularly for Jordan um, as the oldest and, and when she was born where I was in my career. And so I think that, you know, it was a time and place, Carol, where I often describe a, it as a, a Venn diagram where was in the middle of everything mm -hmm. and all of the other things in my life kind of fit in with that. And I was so fortunate because my husband and my children were all healthy and, and bought in to it all. And we had our time together and it's like what everybody knew, but I, I am really thrilled to say that I think that even over my career, things really started to change to the point now where, you know, it's not about having everything fit around your work. It's trying to figure out how, regardless of where you are in your career and your life or your economic status, how you can live an integrated existence in where your personal and professional lives are combined. And we've, we've been jolted into that because of the horror of the continuing challenges with COVID. And I also think that there's a changed expectation of how you prioritize impact and meaning into your life's decisions. It's really a driver behind why, you know, I was so enthralled and excited and energized in creating and building Medley because that's what Medley is about. It's giving people intentional space to think about how they're prioritizing things and to do it in a safe, authentic space because it's really, really hard to do it alone. You know, I think about my career, gosh, it would have been wonderful to have Medleys, but in some ways I did. I had people who counsel I would seek. I had other women who were living a shared experience. I had other people of color, black professionals who, you know, could, you know, sit with me and break bread and we could learn and grow with each other. So, you know, all of this comes together uh, and has fueled where I've ended up. Mm. And I, I really, I want to dive into Medley in, in just a minute and deeper. But, but before I do that, Jordan, I'd love your perspective on 
how your peers are looking at the integration of, of work and family. I mean, you are relatively new to the work world as one who was growing up professionally where you you were afraid to think about how your family interacted with work. It just seemed like they were um, opposing forces. Carol, and, that's very well said. Yeah. 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 And, and, and now I, I, I like what I am seeing and, and hearing, but, but what is it like in the ground? I mean, do people, how do people your age, not that you can speak for them all, of course, but what do you, how do you look at, at this? Is it really a new day where everybody's on the right page of, of giving family the amount of time it requires? It's inconsistent, mm -hmm. I would say. And it depends on the industry. It depends on the individual situation. But I mean, you know, just for context, I'm 31. I don't have any kids yet. I hope to at some point. My mom had me when she was 28. She was almost mm -hmm. 29. I have a few friends with kids, but most with very, very new kids or some who are have, have are pregnant mm -hmm. now. And most of my friends are 31, 32, 33 mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that's something that's just immediately distinctive about my generation is people are having kids mm -hmm. later. And I would say that, you know, this, this integration, this tension between family life and having children has really been accelerated. And the challenge has been accelerated by COVID over the past couple of years, where it's especially challenging to set boundaries and to manage a separation between work mm -hmm. and home. And so, you know, I, I think that Many workplaces are certainly becoming more supportive uh, and recognizing the importance of appropriate family leave when kids are born, you know, flexible working so that people can navigate childcare and navigate spending time with their kids. But at the same time, you know, I have a close friend who works at a public company and she was disclosing to me last week when I saw her, she's had her first child, how frustrated she's been because work's been taken away from her the second they found out that she was pregnant and she's off, she's now on maternity leave and is so frustrated because she feels like she's being falling mm -hmm. behind. And so, you know, while I do think that there is improvement and that there is a moment now where companies are certainly trying to be more uh, supportive, mm -hmm more flexible and more accommodating mm -hmm. for young mm -hmm. parents. I still think that there are some challenges, especially for women, um, just navigating, yeah. uh, wanting to be number one in every in every arena, which just isn't possible, right? right. It's not. Carol, could I just make a comment uh, following up on what Jordan was saying? First of all, it's impossible to be number one in everything all the time. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. And so I think that's a really important thing for people to think through and define for themselves, like not a point in time, uh, what one feels like, but as a continuum and mm -hmm. how you think about things in totality, um, but not in isolation. The other thing that I think people should recognize, and, and I see it, I see it now, that reality of how we've all lived in work and, and had the opportunity to live and work in a blended way because for so long, many people were working from home also has its challenges. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can tell you, I was, I was on a board call and there was a presenter on a topic and it had been an outstanding topic for, for a couple of months. And so it happened to be a woman. It could have been a man, but it happened to be a woman. And she began her presentation and bursting through the door was her, a six-year-old who had been locked in, 
for COVID uh, and had had the first return to school um, in months mm-hmm. and was so excited. And we were so excited. We were like, oh, this is so great. You know, don't worry. Go play with Johnny. Take time. We can mm-hmm. we can do this another time. She's like, no, 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 no. Please. I really, I, I like, I've been working on this presentation. I, I like, just give me, like, just, just give me a minute. And in that mm-hmm. moment, I realized that, you know, she wanted and needed to prioritize this presentation mm-hmm. and doing a reschedule for her would have been very disappointing for her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, instead, you know, I interjected and said, Hey, you know, why don't we just take a five minute, we can move one of the things. I was a chair of the committee. I said, we can move one of the topics from the end to the next, you know, 15 minutes mm-hmm. and we'll see you in 15 minutes. Does that work? And she was just like, yeah, that's great. But that's not an easy thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the engaging with your six-year-old in the minute, knowing that he doesn't have the same time stamp of 15 minutes, but it was better than rescheduling. And so I think there's a lot of learning that we all have to do as people around you know, the fact that we still do need these boundaries and what that looks like. And it's not just, you know, about sort of um, being tolerant. It's about really, you know, being thoughtful and intentional around, you know, the fact that we all as humans, as parents and professionals and friends and spouses need to figure out a new formula. And we need to have a little bit of patience with the time it's going to take to do that. Absolutely. And I just want to also respond to something that you both have talked about, and that is this understandable desire, because we're all ambitious and, and thoughtful people, that you don't want anything to take you away from your potential at being at the top of your game, where whatever you are doing. The funny thing about parenting, though, you know, it's funny when you said number one, I was thinking, what is number one in parenting? Because it's such a, it's not a, there is no <laughs> number one in parenting. Well said. Even in any given moment, you do something that may be great (laughs) and you feel very good about it. And certainly, as we've seen already in in this discussion, things that you do have really wonderful impacts, the next generation. And so there are things that, in retrospect, could qualify as the really great thing, but you never feel it at the moment because you, I always joke and say it's the most interesting job where you actually have no idea how you're doing for like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but, but I think, I think to your point, Edith, about shifting the way we look at things, I think to the extent that we have to change the lens a little bit on all that we're doing, but, but, but parenting for sure. I mean, but work as well. And and sort of readjust it to to the time where I love the story about this this person. I could feel through your telling it of the her anxiousness about not being sidelined to deal with her kid. As much as we all know that dealing with your child is very important, but to think of all that work going sort of by the wayside, she geared up for this. That was a great way to handle it. And, and I'm hopeful too that the curtains been pulled back with COVID, and we're kind of seeing how people how how the sausage is made that we will be a little bit more tolerant. I, I really, I, I promise you, the question after this one is going to be about Medley because I really want to know about it and how you guys work together. But Edith, I've been dying to ask you this question and I ask it of all successful executives that I speak to, women that is. What I want to know is that are there any, and, and this is just a quick question off the top of your head, are there any skill sets that were really valuable in the workplace that were kind of born of parenting? 
were were there was there anything because I note that so many almost all in fact all of the black women who have achieved a CEO status they all had children and you might think that someone who had no um, encumbrances of a child could work harder or you know but but I'm interested to see if anything worked the other way. Oh boy! I mean, sometimes, quite frankly, particularly as I had more responsibilities running teams, you know, being a you know, in the in the top tier of leaders at Goldman and beyond, I think my parenting skills are the things that were most valuable to me because, <laughs> you know, when you're parenting, you're, it's mm-hmm. like a human interaction in its rawest form, right? There's tactical things. And as Jordan described earlier, we had a lot of them because we wanted to give our kids exposure. They went to challenging schools. So mm-hmm. And each each child is different, and so if you just think about that, that's really fascinating. You know, the complexity of it is fascinating. But at the raw, at the at the baseline, it's you know really understanding, you know, your child and understanding, you know, how to be intentional um, about, you know, creating sort of a role model and of listening and understanding and. Mm-hmm but setting boundaries, right? And getting people to, getting your children to really appreciate that, you know, they are children and there is a lot to learn and and you do want to hear about what they have to say, but at the end of the day, you know, you do have to sort of move in the same direction. And as I went from being an individual, you know, when you start your career, you've got to be good at the job. And when we were talking about the skill sets of being an entrepreneur, Jordan didn't highlight one of her excellent traits, which is, just drilling down and doing the hard work and looking around the corners and, you know, getting answers to questions that are asked, but really thinking beyond that. And that's what it's like when you start your your career. But for me, you know, as I started to get more responsibilities and covering clients, you know, I had to really like listen in a different way. I had to influence in a different way. Think about what it takes to influence that child who's tired, who, you know, isn't in the mood for any of your stuff and just is throwing a fit. And, you know, okay, you can, you know, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes the, you have to do it because, well, my generation, I Carol, you might really do you're doing it because I said so actually meant something, right? Mm, kind of lost. That didn't work. That didn't work so well. Bob, I can picture that happening while we're also trying to catch a flight. Yeah. I feel like that was a recruiting. Yeah. yeah. But, but so you're going back to your question, you know, all of those things of, you know, trying to multitask and, you know, pay attention to what, you know, your ki- where your kids are and what they really needed and how to influence them and, and be empathetic and, and, you know, juggle a lot of things, you know, that really prepared me for my expanding responsibilities and my willingness to put myself into really new, challenging, risky situations professionally, because in some ways Mm -hmm. that's what parenting feels like sometimes. Uh, Yeah. But worked with Jordan as an example, you know, did not necessarily, in fact, many cases didn't work with her brother. Right. And it didn't work with the youngest. And what worked with her when she was 10 definitely didn't work with her when she was 16. And so every every year, every every stage is like a new set of challenges and set of, and that prepared me for, for putting myself and getting comfortable being uncomfortable, which is something I reference often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So now... 
I want to talk about Medley. And my first question is, did this did your relationship lead you to want to form a business together or did you hit upon an idea which brought you together? And either one of you feel free to answer this one. I think it was the idea that brought us together. What do you think? E? Although the, the idea wasn't super formed at the time. The the I it was the idea. Jordan started working on the power of groups and community and business school and in her life as she mentioned earlier she loves sports. She also loved the math team. She also loved, you know, her section in business school. And so it was really extraordinary to see that someone who is individually capable, like Jordan, realized that that capability was limited Mm -hmm. if she didn't really actually make those human connections. And, And I think that's something that my husband, Robert, and I are particularly proud of with all of our children, that we were like, okay, yeah, good job. You may you know, have gotten a A plus plus. You may have scored more goals. You may have, you know, been elected this that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But like, what's happening with the people around you? That was part of the ethos. And so, shortly before we started working with Medley, left Goldman, I had the opportunity to join a couple of public boards, which is extraordinary. And I credit the leaders of the organizations for recognizing, you know, the potential impact. But the other thing that I saw is that, you know, being an entrepreneur is a lonely journey. I think about the irony there. I care deeply and could see the power of human connection. And Jordan and I would talk about it. You know, I would call and say, well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? And as I considered ways for me to really, you know, jump in the deep part of the ocean on this concept of human connection and learning, I saw Jordan working on this by herself. And I thought there's something here. I care deeply. I have the perspective of experience. But what I also don't have mm-hmm. is a perspective of the future. And Jordan and and that generation that was slightly ahead, her generation slightly behind, mm-hmm. is honestly the future. And so I was like, gosh, you know, if we could work together, one, <laughs> you know, we could work together. If I had known I would give up my mom title in doing this, she calls me Edith all the time. I'm not sure. I, I, I'd have to rethink it. I'd have to rethink it. But, um, you know, the opportunity to like take my learning to another level and and to work on what the future wanted and needed and looked like was just something that I could not resist. It is such a tribute to the both of you that you want to work together and that you're doing it successfully and happily. Tell me a little bit and tell the audience, Medley, it, it is a really brilliant concept, but I would love for you guys to crystallize it for me. Absolutely. I can, I can definitely do that. Um, so Medley is a platform that supports people's growth across their lives from the personal to the professional. And our membership includes small group coaching where we match people into groups based on uh, their areas of focus and what they're looking to work on. And also events, workshops, and access to the broader community. And so we launched in July of 2020. It's been incredible to see the range of people who have joined Medley, people from 20 plus states in the US and 15 countries, which is incredible. Wow! And we've gotten really tremendous feedback on the impact that Medley's groups are having on people's lives, such as, I feel like I have so much more perspective. It gave me the confidence to make a career shift. Um, I feel a much stronger grasp of my balance between work and life and the integration and 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 that those types of questions. Mm-hmm. And we actually recently launched several groups that are more targeted in their area of focus, including a track for parents to explore, invest in their mm-hmm. identity as a parent and as a, a, a professional and everything that comes with that intersection. So yeah, it's been an adventure. We're a team of 12 people now, which has been 
tremendously exciting to go from being just, you know, the two of us for almost a year to a team of four or five for the next year. And now we're 12 people. And it's we're really excited about what's to come for the rest of the year as we continue to grow and expand our offering. Wow. Um, and, and I know that I've heard this discussion with you guys before, but the timing, I mean, I understand that you initially had a bricks and mortar concept, but you had to pivot, obviously, with COVID. But the product you're offering seems almost COVID tailored because you, you're you gathering people to talk to one another, to feel connections, whereas if their lives had not been so interrupted, they may not have had as much space or time or desire. And so it's pretty amazing how that works. One other quick thing I will say is that, and then you alluded to this before, Edith, and that this need to interact with people, not just your best friends, but people who can give you perspective it reminds me that one of the things that I tribute my passion for parenting to is that for 10 years, I was in a parent group. And this was a group of 10 women that were not best of friends. Uh, we had a coach, we had a, a woman who ran a school that all of our children had gone to at some point. But really, the goal there was to talk about our what we were doing, uh, do mea culpas for mistakes we thought we were making, sort of crowdsource ideas for how to do things differently. And while we had one quote, expert, she didn't have the last word always. It was, we filtered her advice through the reality of everybody's experience. And so when I read about that, and I particularly read about the medley moment focused on parenting, I thought that is so genius. Part of what I do this for is because I really think people should talk to one another more about parenting. I've seen personally how that kind of interaction, and the interesting thing, and I'd be curious to know if you find this with your groups, I mean, I still have a very strong bond with these women. We don't, we're not together anymore, but none of them became my best friends. I mean, we, we all, we yeah. share an appreciation for what we were able to do for each other, for how we looked at things, for our parenting skills, but it didn't mean we had to be buddies, besties, you know, we like each other, but, but it, you were able to leave there and not feel like you owed this group anything other than your presence when you were there. Well, I, I tell you, that is the essence of our belief in the importance of medley. We believe that everyone should have medleys in their life. And we are thrilled to have an opportunity to create these groups where people can bring themselves, be authentic, feel safe, and take the learnings on those interactions fostered by a coach. It's interesting when upon reflecting on your experience, yeah, the coach was there and she was certainly an expert, but, but her role is to ask questions and to facilitate, et cetera. And, you know, we have a vision that, you know, we will and are taking our learnings from our medley groups and we want to provide opportunities to facilitate those groups um, in other forms. I mean, I have myself groups and, and that, that have really sort of kept me centered uh, and given me perspective. And we want, we've asked ourselves the question, why can't everyone have that? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're creating with Medley, an opportunity to come together, to connect and to explore. And, and we are taking our learnings in doing that. And we believe that Medley is going to become a, a experience that really defines the way people interact in their lives. Mm, that is wonderful. So for the, the benefit of our listening audience, how do they get a medley in their life? Well, you can do that. <laughs> 
either through Medley, which we would love. You can go to our website. It's withmedley.com. But honestly, mm-hmm. a big part of, of having a Medley is gathering a group of people who you'd be excited to learn with and learn from and committing to engaging with them mm-hmm. over a predetermined period of time. And there's just something really special that comes from having consistent engagement. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you know, Carol, you mentioned that your group that you were a part of, these weren't your closest friends. There's actually something really special about having people who aren't your colleagues, who aren't your close friends. Uh, they're able to, you're able to get a little mm-hmm. bit more distance around that. And mm-hmm. I myself have had mm-hmm. groups that I've been a part of in, in various contexts. Um, and, it, you know, it, it really just starts with, with first a commitment and interest. Um, or visit to our website. Yeah, I, I'd also say that that it is hard to get outside of your lane. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has been really exciting and rewarding in the feedback that we've had from those that have joined Medley is that they have never would have expected that they could find common ground with people who were so different in so many ways, whether what they were doing professionally, whether it's where they lived or, you know, gender identification or ethnicity. And that's where I think it's been really exciting to be in an environment where we've been able to leverage virtual gatherings in a way that now people, because of the horrors, unfortunately, of COVID have become more accepting of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has been, I would say, something that has been hugely important because we we still believe that, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be human beings and human beings crave in-person interactions and aspects of their life. And we will all look for those opportunities, but gosh, it's been incredible, you know, to, to see the energy that these groups have generated and how they have told us that they've taken those learnings and applied them to other aspects of their life. And I think that that is the most meaningful thing. And that's why we're doing the work that we're doing with Metley. Mm, That is amazing. I would love to continue talking with you guys about this, but I'm going to have to bring this to a close. But before I do, I want to, first of all, thank you guys so much. But before we leave, you have to play the GCP lightning round. (laughs) I'll make this this really quick, but you have to play it. And you get a specialized one because I'm kind of directing a few of the questions. So each of you just tell me what is a favorite poem or saying or what comes to mind in terms of something you, you say a lot or you, you, a quote that you really like. Oh, gosh. Um, I can go. Uh, you, go ahead. If you want to boil the ocean, make a cup of tea. <laughs> is no, one. that's not it. <laughs> if, you want, no, no, if, if you want a cup of tea, don't try to boil the yes. ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I forgot I made that. You up. say that all the time, and it's just a, <laughs> such. A, it's so true, though. You know, just one step at a time. You can't, you know, move a mountain. Yeah. You have to start by moving the pile of dirt first. That is so great. I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> okay, and give me each of you. Give me one of your favorite children's books, and it could be one you grew up reading, or well, Edith, in your instance, one you like to read to your children. You know, Good Night Moon. And the reason was because it was incredible to me how engaged the children were in the book. <laughs> Their eyes would light up and then they would learn the words. And as a a parent, you know what it's like when, you know, their favorite book is 
is really long with a lot of words. And, it's like, and they, they're not going to bed until you finish every page. And then they get really on top of it. You try to skip pages. It's like, no, 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 we have to go. You skip that page, especially Jordan. Jordan was the one to call it out. She's like, oh, no, oh, no. The boys don't notice, but I notice. So I, I always enjoy it because it was just, it, you, you could just also tell stories around it. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Jordan, do you, is that yes, your favorite? Yes, uh, that is a classic. I, I've also started buying books for my friends who have kids. And one that I'd love to give is What the Road Said by Cleo Wade, mm. um, who's an amazing uh, poet and activist. And the book is just really positive uh, and, and simple and upbeat. So that's one for nice. me. Nice. Good, good. I'll say other people have said that book as well. So I'm, I'm out of the children's book reading business. So I'll have to find it. <laughs> um, so Edith, give me a moment where you absolutely nailed it as a mom. Do you have a favorite mom moment? You know, I, it could either, it, I could either go in the direction of creating our family traditions and, and how they have meant um, a lot. You know, so when I was a teenager, I used to like to bake and I found this cake recipe off of a back of a cake flower box. And so my value as a new mom was defined as my ability to make homemade cupcakes and bring them to school when they were children. Now, I don't think they lick, they all licked the icing off of it. And, <laughs> and one day the dog jumped up on the counter and ate half the cake. And ate half the cup. But, you know, I love the fact that the kids really saw that as something really like a signal of how much I truly deeply loved and celebrated them. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, which I loved, which I'm not sure they really liked so much was I was like the biggest fan in the, in the, in the, in the stand at every sport. Of she men. was I loud. She was loud <laughs> and she still looks for events to go to because she will be the loudest, <laughs> most active cheerer uh, out there. Sometimes she, she takes it out on the TV when we're watching sports. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I could never yell my children's name. That was the only thing. But I could yell everyone else's. So oh. until until the feedback loop said, "Can you ask your mom to stop yelling like, my name?" It's really um, anyway, so those are my. But the, the key thing, though, Carol, is is that it's not a thing. Yeah. It's a. You said it earlier. Like you don't know what's the best mom moment until you know twenty years later when your children reflect upon it as something that really mattered. Yeah. Um, you do the best you can at the moment. You, 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 you engage and you're intentional and you, and you hope that it, it turns them into amazing humans. <laughs> and, and that's a great segue because Jordan, I will give you the last question, which is what is one of your favorite mom moments? <laughs> Was it the, uh, the cupcakes or is there some other thing that, that comes to mind that just always makes you smile? I was reflecting on this question and two things came up. One is, going on long walks with her is still something that I love to do, especially exploring a new city. And so we lived in London for two years. We would walk, seemed like I was 10 years old. It seemed like for miles and miles, it was probably like one mile, but we would just have so much fun stopping in different bakeries, going shopping, uh, exploring new areas. The other thing that I, I think really uh, reflects a side of my mom that doesn't come out often is how funny and goofy uh, and joyous she is. So something that uh, I love and, you know, I really have memory. We even had last night, uh, we had a pajama party where wherever we would be on a trip together, we, we love having printed 
nice pajama sets and we would uh, dance with each other and take funny photos in bed. Uh, we've been doing that since um, I was I was younger. And I think that just reflects uh, the goofiness and the fun that she brings to even small moments. Oh, that is that is great. <laughs> I love this conversation. And, and again, I will I will stop now. But thank you guys so much for being with me today and for giving such really interesting, useful and really helpful information. And and in closing, I will encourage everyone to check out with medley.com because it just sounds like an amazing opportunity for for everyone. So thank you again. And and good luck. Good continued luck with medley. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you for creating these very important um, learning opportunities for us all. We appreciate it. Thanks. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.